Listen and stream the all-new talk radio, Freedom 106.5, for the only talk that matter. Good morning, Transbego. This is Freedom 106.5 FM. It is Wednesday morning. Uh, we are inside of the 9 o'clock hour. And as always, we welcome you to the exciting program, on the Pulse with Rajiv Dipti. Of course, he joins us every Wednesday, president of the Supermarkets Association of Trinidad and Tobago. And today we've got a very special guest as we discuss the topic food production, nutrition, security, and food supply chain in Trinidad and Tobago. And joining Rajiv this morning will also be uh, Riyad Mohammed. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you all today? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Govin. Good morning. Welcome to all our listeners on The Pulse. And as Govin outlined, we have quite a discussion for you all today with food production and the food supply chain in Trinidad and Tobago. Joining us this morning is a gentleman who is no stranger to circles when it comes to topics pertaining to agriculture and national food security. Mr. Riyad Mohammed is the lead director of Tropical Agriculture Consultancy Services Limited. He is a lead consultant at, a, at, at Tropical Agriculture Consultancy Services, as well as a national agriculture advisor for the Kuva Tabaki Talparo Regional Corporation. He's also the host at Growing Trends Agricultural TV program and the founder and president of Real Agriculture TT Farmers Group. He's also an, a lecturer of the Three R's Learning Center and is an MPhil candidate in livestock science. This, this uniquely positions him to discuss a little bit about the livestock industry, uh, poultry, where we are with, in our meats, where we are in supply chain management, what's going on in animal production, what's going on in agriculture. So good morning, Riyad. How are you this morning? Hi, good morning. How are you doing? I'm fine so far. Fine so far. Excited for the, um, the chat this morning because, you know, I just love my sector. So so tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into the actual discussion. Tell us about how you got into how you got into agriculture. What, what really positioned you to into this sector for our listeners this morning to have a little bit of context? Right. Understood. OK, Raj. So let's see. I went to Irie High School my entire um, existence was really based around home gardening and i got an affinity to agriculture at a very young age because i was always with my granddad in our garden at our two-acre garden in Stiparia there and um you know then after i transferred on to my dad and i was always with him as well but um going to Irie high school we did not have agriculture as a subject so i was always about very sour you know about it you know because i couldn't get trained properly or educated properly on the topic and when i finished in form five with a few subjects um you know, I, I applied all over the place, and then I applied to EKF, but they said I was too young to get in because I was 16 at that time. So I was, you know, heartbroken, really, really heartbroken, because I said the one place that could teach proper agricultural practices um, for the CARICOM would have been EKF. And then I got a phone call, I think late September, some student from up the islands dropped out, and it was like, we have an opening, and your interview was so exciting because you said you used to rare um, squirrels and a guti and maniku for food and all of these things. So it's like, just come right up and we will um, provisionally give you um, that acceptance until you turn 17 in December, right? Ob obviously, your parents have to accompany you during the process. So that's how my journey started um, in agriculture commercially. And that was 16 or maybe 17 years ago, 16 years ago. Yeah. 
well, I'm sure a lot of listeners here this morning will feel and hear the passion from a real son of the soil with a green thumb for agriculture. So let's let's get into it this morning, Riyadh. What is the status of food production locally? Contextualize it for our listeners. Oh, that, that is a large question. So let me attempt to, to break it down. We all know, all of us came from agriculture, every religion, every race, um, every community. We all came from agriculture. That's where our forefathers started more or less the first business. Um, as it comes to agriculture now, we have several sectors that fall under that large bracket. We have crop production, it could either be short food crop production or long-term food crop production. We have livestock production, we have the different species of livestock, like the large ruminants, your smaller ruminants, your pigs, your rabbits, your horses, all of these fall under livestock. Then you also have um, other agricultural industries, for example, aquaculture, apiculture, vermiculture, and even all the forms of uh, tourism, ecotourism, agrotourism, um, lumber production. So all of these things fall under the entire agri-sector. Um, so traditionally, and I don't want to bore you all at all, we had had, well, I am how much? 32 years old. And since I have known myself, we have always been plagued with several issues in the agricultural sector. Right? Um, and let me just list some of them. The traditional issues that we would encounter um, in Trinidad and Tobago was land tenantship issues, um, accessing proper finance um, for your agricultural operations, um, the severity of predial larceny that damaged the sector, you know, a whole lot. Securing market contracts because um, not all farmers could produce high quality food consistently because of maybe one of the other reasons I'll be able to list on a bit. Um, drought and even excess floods, like we saw about three or four months ago. Um, the increase in fertilizer prices, chemical prices, and even feed costs for livestock production. All of those things had severe impacts on um, our agri-sector where the smaller farmers kind of dropped out of the system. Uh, I don't want to make a joke of it, but I want to mention that in Trinidad and Tobago, we have an 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. extension agricultural service, which I commend, I congratulate. However, agriculture is 24-7. We need extension services 24-7 in the agri-sector. So th that's one thing I want to you know, come back to when we chat on a bit later. We have several pests and disease, for example. We know the giant African snail, um, the sweet potato weevil, um, the pest with the, the, the coconut red ring, and even the tomato. We also lack a lot of cold storage facilities and processing facilities because we have a lot of good producers in the country not knowing where to put their produce when they produce food, right? And even to get into the supermarket chains, there's a bit of a, a tiny gap from on-field production to supermarket shelves. And well, then we also have, yeah, yeah, yeah Raj? Yeah, yeah. So, so you're right. You, you got, it's a very global question. It got into a lot of things there that we could kind of... Um, focus and narrow down into. In yeah. your own opinion, Riyadh, I mean, you know, I I have to frequently answer the question that consumers are asking, why are food prices rising? What's yes. going on today? Um, we've seen the Food and Agriculture Organization uh, issue a report that global food prices are declining, yet we're also seeing a cost, an increase in the cost of living locally. And, yes. and look, you know, when you think about the local agriculture sector, we've seen some remarkably high prices around Christmas time. I don't know if they've come down since then. Yeah. Um, and and it's, it's really a challenge for producers, as you say. 
what are some of the greatest challenges facing the local agriculture sector right now? And I know you mentioned some of them. You talked about the feed. You talked about the, and that's imported inflation. That's that's the feed. That's the chemicals. That's the pesticides and the fertilizers. That, as you so put it, um, what more could we do down here to see the local agriculture sector really get an injection? Okay, so I always bring up this point. Uh, I even asked this question yesterday. What determines our agricultural budget? And nobody seems to answer that, that question. Uh, well, I could give um, some amount of solution while I break down the question. When we have that 1.1 1. 1 or 2, or I think 1.249 was the last one, maybe, um, billion dollars. If I, were to take a, that... if, I were, if I were to take a plump at it, would it be recurrent expenditure? Right. I think that's between 70 to 80 of the expenditure is recurrent expenditure. So that's just hiring the ministry officials. Right? That's one, and that's okay, because they provide a necessary service. However, what data is there to inform that allocation of the budget? You understand, Raj? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're talking about um, how much capital expenditure should be allocated for the projects we consider an immediate priority. Yes. How much money is really allocated to public-private partnerships? How much is really being done? Is it impactful? Does the public know the, the progress on each of these projects? All of these things are, are, are questions to be asked. And yes, some of them are published in the mandate, for but example. It, it comes back down to a, a really crucial issue. And I think that you as, um, <clears throat> uh, for our listeners as well, uh, Mr. Mohammed is the vice chairman of the Agricultural Multidisciplinary Voluntary Advisory Committee. It's a committee that was put together by the minister in the Ministry of Agriculture, Lands and Fisheries to advise on projects. And I, I think that one of the real issues raised was one of data collection. And I think that's something is speaking to directly right now. Yes, exactly that, Raj, because, okay, let me just, let's just focus on the sector that people pay less attention to the livestock sector. If you look at the livestock sector, it's in a, a crazy mess. I don't know who else wants to, you know, paint a different picture, but I will tell you because I'm on the ground every day. One of the best sectors we have though in the country is the poultry sector. And when I say poultry, I want to refer specifically to the broiler sector. That's really efficiently and well done because it's a vertical integration, right? So that that sector is very well run and protected. That's good, no problem. Last week we spoke to the Table Association president, and one of the things he said, he said, we had, you know, feed raised last week Monday. Um, from one of the, the, the best producers of feed in our country. And um, we had to increase our price of eggs. Why is it that all feeds weren't raised and just some were? So that's a question still, you know, people in the public want to answer to. So so feed cost is just one one of the small issues we have in livestock. The other one is sourcing good genetic stuff for breeding, right? For example, do we even have a beef industry in this um, country, right? No, we don't. Uh, no, we don't. <laughs> we don't. We have the byproduct of the dairy industry. We build from the dairy industry. You know, so that whole industry is crashed, and the dairy industry is struggling at so many levels. So, so, so many levels. Right? From getting proper AI technicians to inseminate your cows, to feeding the proper forages, to meeting the proper butterfat content so you can get a better price in your milk. So, so let's wind the clock back a little bit, Riyadh, right? So, you know, yeah. the thing is, we've 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 found in our country because i suppose of oil and gas across the several decades that we've enjoyed 
the several booms that we found it probably more pragmatic to import these things into our country yet when we face global um, crises like yeah. COVID, for example, being the latest. And when we, when we go through these things and we have a squeeze on foreign exchange that we, we really ball out that these industries have not been prioritized. Now, yeah. how, how, how relevant do you feel it is? Because we've heard a lot about food security. We've heard our leaders come together last, last year in, in Trinidad and Tobago at the yeah. summit. So to talk about regional food security, how relevant is that now? Because you talk about the absence of a beef industry, you talk about um, the dairy industry and, and the mess it's in. How should we prioritize this in your opinion? Well, well, we need to look at, and as I said, data. Data is everything. Consumption patterns. What could consumers afford with their current salaries and what do they need? So I don't like to prefer speaking about the beef industry or the pig industry because those are socially tabooed industries based on our religious backgrounds in Trinidad and Tobago. But the other industries in terms of broilers, layers, sheep, goat, even rabbits, all of those are other food sources. Aquaculture. How many people eat freshwater fish? How often do you eat it? Raj, I'm just asking you that question. How often do you eat tilapia? Um, not that often. <laughs> Same with me, right? But it's so easy to produce, defeat conversion, okay. Um, you know, we have a, a good few um, high-quality producers and farms here, but does the consumer want it? Yeah, and, and, that's, and that's a good point that you're making because consumers really go towards what you push in front of them. It takes a, it takes a, yeah. a great know of marketing, and there's a line, and this, this was part of the discussion that we really spoke about when it came to changing consumption patterns because you need to work with consumers. You need to work on awareness. You need to put it in their face. You need to highlight the nutritional benefits. You need to highlight the economic benefits of substitution. You need to highlight that this is something that could that that could be replaceable in your household budget from a a dollar standpoint. You're, you're absolutely correct, but it's it's something that is not mainstream at all. I totally agree. I know it's nine fifteen. Do you all have to take your break? Yeah, sure. Um, let's run to a break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about how we're going to discuss more about uh, food and nutrition security. Talk, talk, talk is streaming at freedom106.5.com. This is Freedom 106.5 FM. It is 9.18. We take you back to, of course, our discussions on the Pulse, Rajiv Dipti and Riyad Mohammed. Thank you, Govin. And we're back here for all our listeners. We have Mr. Riyad Mohammed. He's a food and nutritional expert and consultant. And he's dis he's discussing with us this morning, obviously, a lot about the the livestock sector, a lot about agriculture. So, Riyad, tell us a little bit about how, how actual food production in Trinidad and Tobago is aligned with nu the nutritional security, the nutrition security that we saw that is so desperately under the microscope now, especially when we think about all the things that um, that that we have to deal with, um, all the um, non-communicable diseases, obesity, hypertension, blood, um, you know, those kinds of things. Are, are, are we in alignment? Um, to be honest, Raj, in my observation for the last 16 years, we have very competent farmers that produce good quality food and maybe and maybe just expand that question Riyad. you know yeah 
is production aligned with pro with national programs like think about the, the school feeding program uh, and where we're developing tastes and trends at a very young age so so is it that you know uh, uh, our local producers being given an opportunity in some of these national programs i would like to say more no than yes let me just explain why we have a lot of farmers in this country that produce like i said good quality food they have a lot of issues providing that food consistently of a high quality for a period of time because of like i said flooding and drought predilacity uh, and all of the other things that come with, with local agriculture so that's why we really need to look at more protected forms of agriculture to secure that nutrition security aspect of it because we could have 100 acres of just a cauliflower and it's a lot of quantity of food, but what about the quality, the nutritional value of that food? What conditions were, um, was it grown under? You know, so and that's really where nutrition security comes in. And in terms of in alignment with the school feeding program, yes, I know that the school feeding program will buy from a few local farmers, but I don't think there's a direct link between farmers producing food and that, well, that one uh, vessel of the school feeding program. I don't think there's a major link there, right? And that's something... We need to speak as stakeholders, um, producers, um, value chain experts, um, chefs, all of us need to come together and decide what the menu should be, why it should be this way, and what type of foods we should produce to fit into that well, box lunch. So are you suggesting that there's a disconnect between government programs and the way that some of our local production is managed? Because that to me is something that should be in place especially when you consider one the nutritional aspect of it as you so put it and two the economic sustenance of ensuring that our local producers have a market to tap into yes i feel there is a disconnect and like i say it's only a few farmers could get selected to, to enter into that school feeding program right we have thousands of farmers in this country where does all that food go and in what conditions is it stored and how does the consumer receive that quote-unquote quality food yeah and, and that's where cold storage also comes into play and even processing plants um nawaz and i was making a joke last night a serious joke and we said well next month tomatoes might reach about three dollars per pound and we want to see which one of the agro processors will take up now that slack process that tomato and create a product out of it because every year this happens in a rush every single year this is not new in agriculture dry season is cheap season this morning, 15 minutes before the show started, <clears throat> I saw a post on Facebook, $2 per pound for cauliflower. Namdefquad reported $8 per pound well, yesterday on, on their um, summary reviews. But this morning on Facebook, separately, I saw a, well, a supplier, not a producer, a supplier selling cauliflower at $2 per pound. And I sent a message, I asked, is this the correct price or did you make a mistake on this post? Because it I could tell you the cost of production for cauliflower at two dollars per pound it does not pay back the producer. I could guarantee you that. Wow. So let, let's talk a little bit about the local supply chain then. From farmer from farm to table, the that discussion we've had a few times. But let's hear it from you. How 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 does that get from farm to table and, and how does the price get marked up at the various increments along the supply chain? Right. So there are food gate prices so let's just use tomatoes as an easy example food gate price for tomato might be around five or six dollars per pound when that farmer sells to a middleman 
Um, and a lot, a lot of people complain about the middleman making all the money, but the middleman is very necessary in the value chain or the supply chain because he takes a whole load of uh, marketing and transport and logistics off of the farmer so the farmer could continue producing while another person or another element focuses on distribution of, of that commodity. So the middleman now will add up more or less uh, 15 to 20% on that cost. And the middleman now will take that tomato now and sell it to the supermarket chain where they so, add so between... Let's, let's talk a little bit about the role of the middleman. The, the, yeah. farmer, the farmer, as we understand, is a vulnerable class of person who lives paycheck to yeah. paycheck. Do you agree? Yes, I agree. Right. So the middleman, he would come to the farm with a truck or two, load up the truck, pay the farmer, and then take it to the, the farmer's market or the right. mainstream market. The wholesale market, yeah. Yep. Right. And then from there now, um, retailers like myself and others would come to those markets to purchase the goods to then put it out inside the stores. Am I correct? Yes, that is how it functions. And or that middleman drops some of the produce in the wholesale market and some directly to the supermarkets. So there's there's a, a prominent discussion to be had because a lot of callers have said that the prices could be lower if it was going direct from farm to consumers or farm to stores. What, how do you weigh in on that discussion? I agree that farm, farmed food should be sold for consumers. However, as a farmer myself, I will tell you it is supremely hard to sit down and sell retail or even small wholesale volumes to the public when I have a few dozen acres of food to produce on a constant basis. Because in producing food, we have to spray, we have to weed, we have to fertilize, we have to prune, we have to harvest, we have to wash, we have to make sure all the workers fed, they, they paid, everybody in a good order. So all of those things happen on a daily basis because it's growing commodities you're dealing with. Not and to mention that it's an incredibly labor-intensive operation that you're describing. And, and you could suffer losses and cycles of production any point in time, and you're out you of pocket. You drop the ball. Correct. You're out of yeah. pocket. Definitely. So when you drop the ball as a farmer, you'll pay in the long run in the upcoming months. Right? So it is extremely hard for a farmer to go now and sell in the market. It's not like you can spend most of the day in the field and some part in the market because both operations have different time demands. So would it be so safe to say that yeah. farmers' immediate priority is just clearing the product out of their out of their hands altogether? Out of their hands, yeah. I believe that is what farmers' are main priority is: produce food and sell it. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and that's where I believe the middleman does have a purpose: take that food and take it to different parts of the supply chain. That middleman could go now to the wholesale market. How do you feel the supply chain could be improved in Trinidad and Tobago as a result of, of, of trying to tie the treads of this, this particular aspect of the discussion together? Right. So let, let, me, let, me, let me go the full value chain and then I'll bring it back to, to answer any questions. So from farmer, it goes to the middleman. The middleman now could choose to sell to the wholesale market, hotels, restaurants, and supermarkets. And those channels will now give the consumers directly right at a process form or package form now ideally what will be perfect for the farmer is if those stakeholders at that end could come to the farm to buy produce for almost double the price sometimes triple the price because as food change hands in this country the price increases by about 20 to 25 percent so farm gate prices are so much more different than where you buy it maybe at the supermarket end what about the imported foods displacing 
local production is there any protections in place is it just that we're thinking about the consumer that we're giving them more options with the imported foods and and this is something that a discussion i've always had uh, are we yes. doing enough to protect uh, or even encourage local farmers and uh, and just to add one more question that what what incentives are there for persons entering into local production right now how how are we encouraging the farmers of tomorrow okay so the second question i think we might have to answer after the break, after the break yeah. One, yeah let me answer so we are supposed to impose some super tough tariffs and quotas so only allow a certain amount or a volume of food of a particular commodity to enter the country right now there are not much of those so once uh an importer could afford and source good quality food from reputable countries um, and the logistics you know is affordable and real world um that person could bring in food into this country you know and and what happens is that at times you'll see crops like cauliflower uh tomatoes those two i remember very often recently that at a point in time especially in december month where it had all these extra floods the imported produce was cheaper than our locally produced food so consumers will go towards because both look good right visually look good but the consumers will gravitate towards the cheaper food right which ultimately will leave our local farmers open for some licks so you think the imported foods are displacing local production in a nutshell on, on some commodities yes right right uh, and, and that's something that I, I feel we should look at um I, I i know the government has been looking at um do you think will you recommend that certain classes of food particularly where with respect to nutritional security should be examined yeah. to keep local production competitive yes i i believe that should be done now there's also a argument and i know we come into the 90 there's also argument where consumers in trinidad do not trust to consume food from local farmers and one of the reasons that they said the cocktail of pesticides and weedicides being sprayed on these on these crops yeah right and then the counter argument to that is if that is done in another country and you're still buying the food from an imported country you know so those questions always um you know arise at this point where we have to choose which food to consume imported local cheaper um which one is more affordable and which one is safer to eat how does the consumer really know when you buy a pong of tomatoes raj do you get a nutritional label with it no 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 they get and, a price uh, tag and a bad food yeah uh we're gonna take a short break but when we come back riyad if you don't mind we'll open up the phone lines to get some calls get some perspectives no problem at all Talk, talk is streaming at freedom 106.5.com freedom 106.5 fm it is now 9:33 and we continue along with uh, on the pulse rajiv dipti and uh, riyad mohammed we've got a couple messages on whatsapp that we'll get to in a bit but we also got a uh, caller on the line hello good morning hey good morning govin yes you're live on the air right and good morning to um, the guest riyad here and good morning to um Okay. Good morning. Um, Good morning. First of all, hello? Yeah, continue. Yes. We're hearing you, yeah. Yes. First of all, in terms of agricultural development, if you look at the PSIP for agriculture, the public sector investment program for agriculture, you would see the, the money that is allocated for development isn't necessarily spent. So let's say, for example, you get $100 million. The government actually spends about half of that. 
And that is something that the government has to look at in terms of working out how are they going to spend the money that is allocated for investment to drive the agricultural sector forward. Now, we are already in February, and I don't know, I haven't seen an access road that has been started in terms of being repaired, rehabilitated, or a new access road that's only coming on the that's going to be developed and paved to, to give farmers the ease of accessing their land. Now, I have been looking, and I see none. I know people in the ministry have called, and I haven't heard anything. So it is clear that there is some disconnect where that is concerned, and I know the new minister has some challenge in terms of trying to assuage and alleviate uh, that issue. Now, I want to draw an issue that um, Rajiv uh, raised in terms of whether imported stuff, if they are going to be competing with our local stuff. Now, look, for example, this morning, if you go up and down the co-website, you will see um, local seed potatoes are selling at $11. Imported is selling at $9. Now, the consumer will say, well, if I am getting the, the imported one at a cheaper price, which one am I going to buy? So you have to take all of that into consideration. And one of our areas that we have to focus on is um, processing. We have to look at, in terms of looking at those niche products, getting them in terms of trying to get an equilibrium price. As long as we do focus on that, given that our climate that we have here in terms of um, climate change, and we see um, November going there, we will have a massive deluge. That would contribute to price uptake and an increase of prices. So you need to have uh, the, the, the imported stuff coming into Trinidad and Tobago. What I know about two years ago, the Ministry of Trade and Agriculture came and they put caps in place where, for example, they would project that because, for example, of NAMDA school collect data, they pass on our data to the relevant agencies and ministries, and they will increase your importation for tomatoes, for example. So let's say tomatoes is selling at $20 a pound retail. They are going to free up top somewhat the cap that they have in place and allow importers to import more in terms of bringing down the cost so the consumer can enjoy something there. So that is something that has been working in place through the Ministry of Trade and Agriculture, and I think they should continue with that in terms of that aspect. So much to talk about agriculture, but I'm not going to listen. That's just so I just wanted to share that um, we can drive the agricultural sector forward. The question is if we have the political will. We have two ministers now. One has gone back to the Senate as president. So we have two ministers in terms of who can hear the needs of farmers. So much to be done. The question is can we get it done? 25 by 25, I don't know if we can achieve it, but. There's a lot to be done, and hopefully people like you all who are raising the issues, you can get it to the relevant air, and they can put things in, a place, in place to achieve. You have a good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for your call. Going on to WhatsApp, um, good morning, our listeners in New York. They are locked on. At uh, the minimum, any product a suggestion is coming for products to be sold wholesale is $3.50. That's 50 U.S. cents in order for the farmer to still make something. Uh, another message in Florida, tilapia is a pretty good selling fish there. It costs between two, well, just, just around $3 to $5 a pound there. The best way to prepare it, of course, fried or stew. So a suggestion for, you know, using the freshwater fish in terms of um, 
uh, as, as you all referenced, the um, box lunch, school feeding programs and all of those things as well. Reminding you of our studio number 627-3223-625-2257 and uh, on WhatsApp, your message is 306-1065. Rajiv, uh, Andrea, yeah, any well, comments I on must, the calls and the messages? I really have to commend the first caller for his clarion clarity. I, I recall when we started the AMVAC committee under Riyadh and, um, you know, one of the things that he would have said to us at the time is that the the, the, the funds that were allocated, particularly with respect to projects, is something that we needed to identify projects, good projects to validate the spend. And that is something the minister himself, I think it was Minister Avinash Singh, said there was an appetite by the ministry to identify the project so that they could fit them into the fiscal period, or sorry, the budgetary allocations that were necessary. Riyadh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of which is true. And Avinash did mention that, um, you know, we have so many good allocations for agriculture, and not only we are supposed to commit, but utilize all of the funds that are being allocated. Yeah, and that was a, a deficit. Correct. Yeah, and I, I think you're in the process of recommending some of those projects right now, if I'm not mistaken. You yes. will prepare some of them for submission. Yes, yes, Raj, correct. On livestock in particular. Yes, yes, I recall that. And, and I have to say that that caller was very bang on the buck. And as well, you know, the, the remark about tilapia, you know, one of the things I feel we should really, um, as Riyadh would have pointed out, that the, the, the farming is good, the capacity for production is there. Why don't we encourage some of our local fast food franchises perhaps to to, to use that in some of their um, meal offerings? Because really and truly, we, we have a, a, a nation that is big on fast food. We have a nation that is big on things. It's really about putting it into the picture. What do you think, Riyadh? Yeah, I, I would agree. Now, what usually happens when a family goes out, when they look at the menu listing, the first thing they look at is, okay, we want to buy meat. Okay, no problem, right? And I'm speaking generally for the population here. Right. But the cheapest meat available is from broiler chickens, right? Or white chicken. So because we consume so, X millions of heads in this country, correct? correct? I can't, I can't remember how much for such a little country for such a little country um for all our right. listeners is is is, is close million. hundreds of millions of heads of chicken per annum yeah yes correct correct very correct how did it somewhere on the laptop here i got the recent report last uh, last two months there's another so, yeah, we really um, a, a whole lot yeah that, there's another caller on the line hello good morning good morning i'm calling from bukavu i'm to the two to the other two donate person there I don't understand why it is many, many moons ago, government are, 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 are producing, a buying company that they call Central Market. One used to be in San Fernando, one used to be in Port of Spain, and one used to be in Shavona. And they should, I think to, to both agriculture, they should give the public a guarantee price. So we say, like, tomatoes is cheap now. It comes down to $5 a pound, the nice medium, medium to large. And I would say that if you give them a guarantee price, let me say four tomatoes, that way in a pong, you give them X dollars, or, or, or three that way in a pong, you give them X plus Y, and, and you go on through. And you have a guarantee price. What you do, don't use, you can them and all this. But government is doing nothing about agriculture, not one single thing. I've been saying it, and I would continue to say it. Oh, nearly all over the world, you get everything cheaper. Look at the, the Grenadians and the St. Vincent and all these people are doing all the yam, all these things in Central Market to sell wholesale. That is the same thing we get on the outside, the edos and everything. Why we cannot produce it here? 
Also, the chemical is too over too expensive. I heard one of the moderators here said chicken is. I don't think chicken is cheap because when you check it, chicken is like twelve to fifteen dollars a pound after it being plucked. And when you check it out, when you cook it, it comes a small amount. The same way people does eat beef, people does eat goat, or people does eat pork. If they buy the same amount at twenty-five dollars or thirty dollars a pound, it would feed more people because it is solid meat and all these sorts of things. But chicken is the way for Trinidad to go all the time. They always prefer chicken. And you were speaking about the tilapia. The L Londonville there in India farm there, they have tilapia, they have cascadu, they have goat, they have beef, they have chicken, everything. I saw the agriculture minister went down there and said that he would, the goat would go down up to 37, 38. Right now on the link of the favorite place where they sell all the goats and things. You know, it's $40 a pound now. Last year it was 50 and 55 and all these sorts of things. So I think if that the, the government could produce I mean, government is waste money in so much things. I, I repeat, waste money in so much things. Put in director here who cannot even direct where the water must go, where it's not, not going for 100, uh, 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 more than a million a year, and all these sort of things. If you lose a little money in the agriculture, it will help the average poor people to, to, to get the food at a cheaper price. But government is doing nothing about it. I, I just buy corn for my chicken and them. And you know where the price of a bag of corn now? Wholesale, eh? Two hundred and thirty dollars for hundred pounds. Two hundred and thirty dollars wholesale for hundred pounds. We could produce corn in Trinidad and dry it and have it till they say them boys would eat some. Yes, I agree they would eat some. But if the government decided county lands and all these sort of things and produce it, it would be a cheaper market for the people of Trinidad. But those forty one politicians we have in this country don't care nothing about nobody besides their friends and family. I thank you so much for this opportunity. <laughs> Thanks for your call. Uh, the, a message coming in. Um, around a million heads weekly, referring to the chicken. So therefore, fifty-two millions per annum. Wow. Yes. Yeah, that's that's what I remember it to be at least a million a week, correct? Yeah, correct. And I mean, we have we 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 have a minute till the break, Riyadh. But just to, uh, we could touch a lot on what that caller just described. But yeah. the first thing he said was guaranteed prices i think he was describing some form of contract farming if i'm not mistaken in your yeah. estimation what what is what is it uh, is that is that even feasible i believe contract farming is feasible so that's really a relationship and agreement between the producer and the seller right but, um but in my own, in my own yeah. estimation if you're going to do contract farming then as the contractor inputs for production is that not so yes yes so like I said, a few things could arise on that value chain. Raj, you want to take that break now? We can chat. No, let's 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 just this talk this one out. Then we'll go to the break and then we'll take no some problem. Time. So, if you don't have fertilizers, you can't produce your your stuff commercially. If you don't have your sprays, you don't have your seeds, you don't have your genetic stuff, you don't have your irrigation tape, you don't have your pumps. So all of the input supplies, if you don't have them, you can't produce your crop. That's one on the farmer side. Um, those things will affect the quality of the food that you produce. And when you sign a contract, obviously you have to supply high quality food. And anything affecting the quality of the food, you will not, you, well, you'll, you'll kind of breach a contract. You know, so on the farmer side, there are many issues. Now on the seller side, the sellers need to understand that the cost, they need to understand the cost of, to produce each commodity will be different as well as, as the input supplies raise, You'll have to maybe readjust those contracts maybe every six to twelve months because a lot of things are increasing in price. Yeah, so those so, are just when you look at at, at, the, at the, the end. So if I'm the contractor, yeah, 
I I, yeah. I, t- I tell you the farmer, I, I w- I'm giving you three months to come through a cycle of production. I'm giving you, I'm going to cover the cost of the inputs of your production. That's the feed, the chemicals, the fertilizers, what have you. Um, and uh, and you have to bring that to market. Has that ever been done before in Trinidad and Tobago? Yes, a few, a f- only with a few um, well-experienced farmers who are good at business practices. Um, most of the population has not have that opportunity. Okay, so we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to go to the phone lines. Talk, talk, talk is streaming at freedom106.5.com. We're back, Freedom 106.5 FM on The Pulse, and we are discussing with Rajiv Dipti, president of the Supermarkets Association, and Riyad Mohammed this morning about agriculture, and uh, let's go to the phone lines. Hello, good morning. Hello, good morning. Good morning again, Govin, and good morning, the gentleman here again. I just wanted to highlight an issue. As part of the agri-sector, I will tell you that um, contract farming is something that we have to look at working on. I don't see that working here in the interim. And let me, let me show you why. Last year or the following year, we would have seen 33 farmers would have been trained by uh, ICA and they would have been trained by the Ministry of Agriculture. In terms of development, uh, and this is a school feeding, in terms of where they were trained for GAP, good agricultural practice, in terms of where they would supply food to the school feeding program. The school feeding program, they don't want to engage in a contractual agreement. So if you look at the expenditure for uh, 2023, the school feeding program would have gotten 290 million thereabout in terms of expenses, in terms of producing, uh, to purchase food, etc., etc. But they refuse to enter into agreement with these 33 farmers. So it shows to me that there is something that is hindering that. And that is why contract farming in, in this country, if you cannot do it at that level, where the ministry and other stakeholders can get on board, like, like the National School Feeding Program, where you can engage farmers who have the land. Most of these farmers are large-scale farmers. They have the land. And in terms of trying to work at an equilibrium price or a standard price, I can't see why the school feeding program couldn't have engaged in that. Another interesting thing, when you look at the, um, in Phoenix Park, there where Price Mart is going to be open. Right now, Price Mart is collecting data from farmers. They would have been, they would have passed in my area and they are collecting data in terms of what farmers can supply. One of the challenges that you will get is because of our climate. We can just have a flood. And once you have that flood, even a large scale farmer can be affected. So in terms of engaging in a contract, again, they don't want to engage in that. And it's something that the ministry will have to look at in terms of where they can project, encourage more persons to get into the technological aspect of farming where you can engage in contracts. I do see it working out in Trinidad anytime soon. Even the groceries will tell you that. Having I have supplied at least three of the major groceries in this country. And absolutely none of them have engaged with me in contract. And I have worked out, I had worked out a price for cucumber back in 2015 for these three groceries. And I told them I can supply you cucumber yearly at this price. And they said, nah, the prices we are looking, we have been in the market and we see at certain times we can get it cheaper. Right now you can get cucumbers in the market, a 40 pound bag of cucumber for around $50. And of course that cannot be a farmer. A contract price will take it up to $100. So $100 for a 50 pound, that is where the farmer will break even and where he can make a profit. 
so much to talk about, eh? but I know time is running, so I just yeah. wanted to share that. Have a good morning. Okay. Thank you for your Thank call. You. There's another message. Um, do you know the price of plantains? It's 60 to 129 US. So what I'm saying is that it should not be sold for less than six TT dollars in any local market there. Tomatoes, 129 a pound in US. Bananas, 79 cents a pound, etc. All right, thanks for from all this international listeners. Also got to say good morning to Show and Ali uh, from the San Fernando General Hospital, locked on and enjoying the program. Rajiv? Good morning once again to all our listeners. Thank you, Govin. You know, I, I listened to that caller there and I, I, I think that the callers are very spot on with their assessments, um, particularly with the surety of contract farming. Uh, what, Riyadh, one of the callers mentioned earlier, you know, that aspect of the informal trade. I think he mentioned yams from Grenada and St. Vincent, uh, among other things, um, bananas, etc., as part of the informal trade that, that we have these boats come in and they, they, they produce find its way into the local market. And you can expand that conversation if you want to really talk about um, what we call um, exotic meat getting into the country and all and, and finding it through the markets. But um, what is your take on, on how that informal trade could prop up the, the, local, the local sector? And, and, you know, maybe you could think about it from the regional trading standpoint, because I, I know we talk a lot about Trinidad and Tobago, but we had to think about the Caribbean as well. Correct. So I do encourage us to trade with um, the CARICOM um, countries as well. Now, for example, those provisions that come in the Dashin and the Edos and all of these other things. Yeah, I will agree with it to some extent, um, mainly because they don't really come here to mash up the price uh, of, the, of the local farmers, but to supplement um, with the demand or fulfill the demand. Right. But one thing I noticed recently, Raj, was that the levels of ginger that is coming in the country. Ginger selling now at $6 a pound, $4 a pound, $5 a pound. Raj, you could assure you can remember two years ago, ginger was no less than $15 a pound. That's two years ago. And if you look at the NAM Defco, you know, when they track each month, it even went up to $25 per pound. You know, so um, regional trade is good, but we also have to always protect our local producers first and then supplement with, um, you know, external um, sister countries um, when it comes to the these food commodities. And when we think about exotic meat, uh, 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 what is your own perspective on that as well as the perception sometimes that you know you have um, dumping, uh, you know there's this concept of dumping particularly yeah. with respect to poultry and prices where you had one caller talk about the prices of chicken being as high as pork and beef and, and, and duck even. So so yeah. what, what's your own perspective on that? So as it pertains to the livestock sector and meat production in particular, um, like I said, for broilers, I really think we could manage that locally, right? I don't really think we need that imported um, broiler meat or, or chicken. Um, the other sectors, yeah, I know we we will import uh, at sometimes, especially like for small ruminants. Um, we, we don't pro we produce a lot, but not enough for local consumption. Like I said, the beef in particular too. That's something that we have to import. Although utilize um, the bulk from the dairy sector. Now, when it comes to exotic meat, I can interpret that as um, legal and or illegal trade in terms of um, bringing in wildlife or, or wild meat, right? Um, so coming back to the, the, the wildlife season and the forestry restrictions here and permits, um, if we have permits for farmers in Trinidad and Tobago to rear wild meat, for example, like Guti, Manico, De, Lap, all of these things, 
we may not have such a such illegal trade taking place right because we didn't need to have to over supplement what is lo what could be locally produced so that is something i would like for us to look into give permits to farmers who want to rear wildlife to, to supply the meat the meat trade locally that's an that's an excellent suggestion and um we while we have you riyadh tell us a little bit about uh, a, a lot of our listeners uh, may not be too familiar with the giant african snail and this drive by the ministry of agriculture uh, what how is it that um that this is is this really a, a great deal of national concern for for us and, and in agriculture particularly yes i believe the giant african snail is a major concern somebody just actually what's up man asked um if we could eat it and you know how to tell the person because of the rat long worm and public health regulations and the advice from the ministry of health um please do not eat the giant african snail that is in trinidad right not really in tobago they hardly hardly have the thank god right so it, it is trinidad, we, like, we like to throw down our pot in trinidad yeah but put put plenty of other things not the giant african snail please right and i'm just like i say because you don't want to get any uh, any type of disease meningitis and so on right so the ministry has advised to collect these snails put them in your bags drop it over the points and that was that for the collection drive um now we either dig and bury or burn right but make sure you get your fire permit when you burn right but you, you have to eradicate this pest because it could really damage the agricultural sector now in the dry season you may not see so much with the one or two days already you'll still see some here and there but as soon as june starts and rain starts back to fall you'll see you, you will see hundreds of thousands of giant african snails from Orange Grove to Aranguez to every other farming community and now even in urban areas. So I really think we should pay more attention to eradicating the, the giant Africans. Well, we're nearly at the top of the hour and I want to say thank you to Riyad Mohammed. He's an expert in, in the livestock and agriculture sectors. He's somebody who's tremendously knowledgeable and has shared his insights here this morning. Riyad, I'm going to give you the opportunity to wrap up the discussion and I'm going to ask you uh, uh, while you're doing that, could you recommend one or two initiatives that you would like to see being driven by the Ministry of Agriculture? Okay, so I will give the, the recommendations first. What I want, um, uh, what I would like for the Ministry of Agriculture to really focus on, um, to, and I will make them for the livestock sector because those farmers are really, really in need. We need to reestablish proper breeding programs to share high quality genetic stock for dairy milk producers, um, sheep and goat meat producers, right? Um, th those are the main ones at this time. So we need proper genetic stock, and we also need not only um, the refurbishment and the the advancement of our forage production farm, front, but we need to continue making food stuff such as silage and corn silage and these things, so that our livestock sector has a food source, so that they don't have to rely on the concentrate feeds to grow their livestock. And when you cut down cost at the primary level because feed costs for livestock is around 70 percent um you could definitely have a direct impact on the consumers when the farmers benefit from feeding the animals safe and nutritious feed stock um feed stuff at a lower cost so those are two things breeding stuff and non-conventional feed resources and forage farming and thanks again riyad i think we're next week for our listeners we are going to do an even deeper dive into the livestock sector and get the perspective of a gentleman who's been in it for a very long time. Um, I want to say thank you, Riyadh, and over to Govind. 
Thank you so much, Rajiv. And of course, Faria joining us today on on The Pulse right here on Freedom 106.5. Wealth of information, of course, Riyad Mohammed there of Tropical Agriculture Consultancy Services Limited and Rajiv Dupti, of course, president of the uh, Supermarkets Association of Trinidad and Tobago. Be sure to join us next week for another edition of On The Pulse right here on Freedom 106.5 FM. Talk is streaming at freedom106.5.com.